healthcare. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review just said, shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the next one. That right there is a lot of Welcome back to the Basement, fellow music lovers. You are now tuned in to yet another exciting adventure with us here on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I am your host, Kevin, as usual. We are happy to have you back down here in the basement, pushing our way forward through 2018. Hopefully you tune in on Monday, our first episode back of the year. Had a little tough love for uh, just music in general, the industry, artists, ourselves, journalists, everything. And, uh, and it, was, uh, it was cathartic for us. And uh, we, we put out a lot of opinions, a lot of things to think about out there, and uh, begin some feedback. So maybe we'll revisit that in a few weeks. Maybe uh, have some people on to talk about it. And uh, and see how they felt, or see what they fi- see what they can add to the conversation, because that's what that episode was actually intended for. It's a dialogue. To quote our friend Aaron Abernathy, "Life's a dialogue, and uh, and it's important that that dialogue goes on and on and on and on and on and on." Um, today we aren't quite getting to the album reviews yet, but we are doing something that I have. Uh, my, this might be fulfilling my my personal destiny we are doing something that i uh strangely have not done on the podcast to date and let's talk about hall notes um if i had to name a favorite band it would probably be them and it's not in the ironic way you know this is a band that in the in the 80s they had a huge string of hits i think it went from like 82 up to uh close to 90 and uh but quite frankly this was the band that got me into r&b and soul you know i heard what they were doing in the pop hits and i said well uh, what, what, where is this coming from? Where's this other stuff? What are they, what are they referencing? And I dug a little deeper, and as such, uh, that's, that's, that's where my heart lies in, in uh, in, in that music, uh, forever. But, uh, part of it still lies with these guys. They, they have long been now going on 30 years, one of my favorite bands, if not my favorite band of all time. Uh, but before the 80s, uh, what a lot of people may or may not know is that they had they had a pretty good career. They got signed to Atlantic, uh, put on an album called Whole Oats. Didn't really perform the way they wanted it to, and so they were left on their second album for Atlantic in 1973 or in 1972 when they recorded it um, to sort of find themselves to figure it out. They were given a lot of leeway because you know the, the first album didn't perform. They're like, well, we'll just get these guys to finish the contract and. And then uh, move them on down the road, find somebody else, find another hit maker. They were up against incredible odds as far as the marketplace goes, which you hear us talk about. But what was remarkable about it was that uh, on Abandoned Luncheonette, which back in the day wasn't necessarily well received, but it, today is it a it is a unmitigated classic. Uh, they took a couple risks. They took a couple uh, musical journeys and and. Uh, Strangely, even though they didn't realize it at the time, found themselves. They found themselves uh, on a track called "She's Gone," and that, uh, and we're going to explore that a little more as well, uh, and how that sort of powered their '80s success. But uh, so to talk about all this and uh, and to sort of share our love for this album and this band, 
nobody better than Mr. Marcus K. Dowling and our friend Sarah Godfrey to come down here and hang out on a nice Saturday afternoon, uh, listen to some tunes, eat a little food, drink some beer, and, and, and really dig into this album. And uh, not only not only am I thrilled to be presenting this because we finally get to talk about Hollow Notes, but this is, uh, you know, my favorite parts of doing this podcast over the entire scope of the podcast, definitely last year we're doing these discologists because it is very much hanging out and, and sharing stories and knowledge and stuff, and this was uh, by far one of my favorites. So I hope you guys like it as much as we did. And I hope if you, uh, really, if you aren't that familiar with this album or you're like, ha-ha, Hollow Notes ironic, take a look at it. Take it seriously. It's rewarding as fuck, as the kids say. Um, so without further ado, I think uh, Marcus and Sarah are waiting for me down in the basement. Let's head on down there. Join a discussion already in progress talking about the uh, <laughs> the surprise classic by Hollow Notes, Abandoned Luncheonette. Actually, make my life right now. <laughs> I, I, I know that's the hits, man. <laughs> <laughs> Logan Paul is walking around the forest looking at dead people. We'll talk about the hits. After the trees. But uh, all right, Sarah, lean in. Let me get. Let me get you. One, two, one, two. Okay. If you is that good? Do you want to need to You need to. Well, it'll actually pull in God. a little oh. closer if you want. Oh. Yeah. And How's then, that? One, two, one, two. Uh. Up. Oh. Yeah. It's up there with. So you'll have to lean in a little, but okay. I can, can lean. Move to, yeah. Okay, Marcus. You, you chugging the? Uh, oh, this is so good. One, two, one, two. Got into the spice. Now it's good. Uh, yeah. It's a classy drink for a classy album. Oh no! It's this is so, this is this album is like way too not classy. Good. Not classic albums. Classy, classy albums. Classy. It's so classy. It's <laughs> big difference. I just I just I think came up with our moneymaker. Classy album classy Saturdays. Album. Yeah. Oh, I love it. A lot of Pendergrass. <laughs> Pretty much all Pendergrass. Is that okay? I mean, I'm still, I'm I'm still caught in the, in, the, in the Teddy Pittengrass vortex after last year. Like, I wrote that one piece after Brianna wrote her piece. About that is one good song? That's not true. <laughs> that is a lie. You and fucking Teddy and I Luther. just had to, I, look, Sarah, you're down here. I had to bring just it back up. in the bed. I had, I had know, to, yeah. I but no, but Teddy Pittengrass, like, literally, many great songs. But, uh, yeah, so many, many great songs. He's got them good hits. Many of them, <laughs> Lord, I just like we'll, we'll watch Teddy live when we get done with this. Okay, so you'll, you'll I, I, I'm good with that. Uh, yeah, you'll appreciate. It. Have you but, seen Teddy live? They have Teddy oh, yeah. live on YouTube. Oh yeah, he's amazing. Many, many concerts, and it's the best. There's Incredible. one from Vegas. We'll see that's oh, it's wonderful. Can't wait. Um, but anyway, but first let's, let's get to this, Mr. Dallin. You're yes. back as usual, and uh, finally after a long hiatus, Sarah. Yeah. Oh my Godfrey. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it is so good to see you because you had you were doing adulting things and yes, and, I was. and like getting a house and yeah. and uh, jobs and, and stuff and and uh, that's all that's all behind you. You can slide back into our little den of like dipshittery and dipshittery. <laughs> I should not be out here. <laughs> and, dipshittery. And, uh, and, and get into that. And, and I think uh, this is actually a perfect way to do it. Now, uh, we do this discologist thing, and uh, we've done a lot. We've done a few. You've been on a few. I think mm -hmm. those are the ones that you're on mostly. Uh, they're a lot of fun. This site, when we started it, um, was built on two things, Boston and Hollow Notes. 
Uh, and that, that's that's a true story. Those are the uh, if you, if you know me, the the stuff that is like etched in my soul like a fucking uh, hardwired circuit is the music of Hollow Notes and uh, Boston's Third Stage. Not those other two bullshit albums. <laughs> like that's just like some hippie drug right. token shit. But you know, Third Stage is a real message, and we're going to get to that. But one of the albums that really you've been promising a Third Stage. I know, I know. We tried like we tried years. to do it, and everybody was intimidated. Really, everybody's had other shit to do, but I, I'm going to go with Intimidated. Um, uh, with uh, Hall & Oates, though, it was, uh, as a child of the 80s, grew up listening to, obviously, the hits. You know, Kisses on My List, uh, Rich Girl, which was barely an 80s song. Barely, yeah. But, uh, who, what is it? Uh, I Can't Go For That. Love it. Private Eyes. Mm, you know, Watching you. And, you know, yeah. And... <laughs> And and this is this is the, the the band that I think everybody uh knows and loves and this is what people love ironically or not. I mean uh and I think it's okay either way. Like however you're going to do this. But at some point as a fan, I think of any band, you start to dig a little deeper. And I I did many many years ago and realized this band that I thought was just big in the 80s had been around since the 70s, since yeah. 1970 to be exact. Yeah. Uh in Philadelphia back then there's the Philadelphia soul scene uh, that doesn't often get talked about a lot anymore. It's always like Motown, Detroit, and yeah. Stax is big. Yeah. But uh, coming up in there uh, back in the day, you had bands like the Delphonics, mm-hmm. you had, which is like, come on. Can yeah. we talk about Billy Paul? Yeah, Billy Paul. You have Jones. Patty LaBelle. Uh, the OJ, the OJ, OJs, and Teddy Pendergrass. That's why I brought yes. it up. The great Teddy Todd Pendergrass. Todd Rundgren. Yeah, which oh, yeah. most people don't consider him a soul artist, but man, you Definitely listen to his other oh, stuff. It's me, it's like, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Uh, an actual soul record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The spinners, the vibrations. Uh, like this was a hotbed. This was after the the explosion of Motown and Stax and all that had come. Sure. And 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 as such, it was sort of second wave. But some of those songs, uh, it does. Which is the song? Uh, Tell me, did you see her? Yeah, like that. That's such a burning classic, it's like absolutely. of all time. Um, Gr- growing up in that era in Philly were Daryl Hall and John Oates. Uh, they uh, played in separate bands because what you did at that time is there was it wasn't like indie rock or anything. You played in a soul band, mm-hmm. and here are these two uh, white dudes are just like, <laughs> uh, especially Daryl Hall. Whew, man, we'll get into that. <laughs> Quite the white guy. Uh, he's yeah. the reason Blue Eyed Soul, I think, was coined. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oh, I had this he- tremendous love of this music. And uh, and it wasn't until like a bad incident at a gig that they were both playing at that they met and decided, hey, we all like the same things, and thus like music history was born. They ended up like sharing apartments together. They, in fact, uh, I was reading today one of them, and this is why they just called this the address box at Hall and Oates. Yeah. It, that's how simple it is, kids. That's how you name your. Mm-hmm. They could have named their uh, band the the Spinner Dudes, the whatever, you yeah. know, but instead it just like. Hall and Oates, uh, it is a name that now is just synonymous, I think, with badass music, and that's like any other band like that. Uh, they started getting more attention and signed to Atlantic. Yes. I think around 68 or 69. Mm-hmm. 69. Put, 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 out, yeah. put out an album called Whole Oats, which I, I recommend because it's Hall and Oates. <laughs> but but it, it doesn't sound like anything uh, that you know them from for the 80s. It sounds like the soul stuff. It sounds uh, like, honestly, it sounds like people like on the East Coast in the throes of the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, and they did a, a later album called War Babies that really addressed that. We talked mm-hmm. about that. Uh, yeah. And and this is a time when people were pushing their songwriting skills. Obviously, there was some experimentation with drugs. Uh, writing the line between like soul and psychedelia, that's not a really good thing. And they didn't really do that. But I think what they did uh, in 1973, although I thought this was 1972, but I guess it was – It was recorded in 72, at least 72, 73. 72, the year of my birth. There it is. Uh, so, uh, And uh, they got together with the uh, producer at Atlantic. Arif, Arif Mardin. Arif Mardin. The legendary Arif Mardin. And, and he said, he said, hey, look, you know, you guys have got something, and Whole Oats didn't really work out for you, but we're going to try something else. And during this time, they had, like, uh, they'd been around, like, all the Atlantic artists, so they're around Bowie. Like, think about that. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of their album covers later just aped Bowie. They had the same, like... Yeah. So Hall and & Oates and David Bowie, like, in the same... And this is how sort of wild and... and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, cross-germinating the scene was back then. What came out was an album uh, called Abandoned Luncheonette. Uh, it was, it remains to this day, not their best-selling by a long shot, mm-hmm. but I think many consider it to be their finest work as songwriters, uh, finest production work, period. Yeah. And uh, they're most plugged into the times that they were in. We're going to play a song uh, off this, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Period. A lot mm-hmm. of my favorite songs are Hollow Notes, but this one, it's also one of, I think, one of the best ways to start an album because it is just, it, it takes you back to 73. It mm-hmm. takes you to that moment, and you don't even need to know who it is. But you hear this, and it's just like, yeah, I am I am down for this journey. So this is When the Morning Comes off of Abandoned Lunch. I went downtown to see my lady. She stood me up and I stood there waiting. It'll be all right when the morning comes. Now I'm up in the air with the rain in my hair. I got nowhere to go. I can go anywhere. It'll be alright when the morning comes. Just passing, I'm not asking that you be the one of you. When you come home, try to come home alone. It's so much better with two. Now I'm out in the cold and I'm getting old. Morning comes uh, is look man. If you aren't sitting in your van right now, in your mind, like that is like your van is plush. First of all, uh, may it have a moon window. Valor, mm. oh moon window, yeah, nice. you know, so you can that's, so you yeah. can you, you know, keep it rented. Went downtown to see my lady. I mean that that's that's a phrase that like Andre and I use to joke around a lot. But you, I don't think you could say it today, right? No. no. That's a not me, unless you're in a relationship. That's a me like, too violation. Even in a relationship, that's a me too violation waiting to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what are you talking about, my lady? Yeah, it's the it's the it's the intonation. Um, what yeah, you're about it's, to do. it's the intonation. But you know, obviously, very different from the stuff that you know, uh, man eater. Say, you know, very very laid back because by the eighties, yeah, by the eighties, they had worked into this pop star mode, and this this they were just trying to be recording artists, mm-hmm. and like we said again, you know, we're, they, they toured with Bowie on this thing, mm-hmm. so you know, working with peers that ended up being like the giants of music, and some were the giants of music now, just being like, yeah, we can do this good album, 
And it was the same back then. It's like you had to have a great work to rise above. Like you didn't. Yep. How many like how many albums do you think are exactly like this that hadn't heard this that we'll never hear? Right. Right. But it was the supreme, I think, soul of Daryl Hall uh, and the instincts in his voice, the choices he makes. And then just John Hood's being a badass. Yep. He's a badass. Isn't he, is, he? he is a complete yeah, badass. Totally it, is. It is. He is the the consummate, not just the consummate sideman. They were both frontmen, right? And but they were like the song is what it is, and and that's such a cliche in rock journalism when you hear mm-hmm. people say that. But there, and it's just very few examples of this. But you can look to their whole career, but this album in particular, the songs on this are. Uh, it, it it is a it is a musical journey, yeah, <laughs> of sorts. But, it, but it's a very weird thing. Like you know, you've got that. You've got uh, Las Vegas turnaround. Las Vegas turnaround, which is absolutely which we might get to. Fucking fantastic. And a, and a hit, right? That wasn't a hit. No, until five years later. Like, and, and that hit defined their sound going forward. Okay, so I interviewed John Oates last year. He Sir. released a, he released a uh, autobiography. And um, I had the opportunity to sit down with him, and it was one of those times where, like, there's very few people in the music industry that I get, ex- like, nervous about interviewing. Mm-hmm. Like, nervous. Like, oh, my God, this is, this is an actual legend. Like, I mean, I, it was the last time I got this nervous, I interviewed uh, Peter Frampton, and it turned, it, out, it turned out really well, and I was like, okay, this is great. So maybe I'll have the same thing happen when I interview John Oates. So we start talking, and we have this, you know, conversation starts, and it's like, he's, like, in his, he's in his garage, and his his and he's like his his whole house is like hooked on the same Wi-Fi channel, and he's in his garage and he's talking to me on his Wi-Fi like on the phone, and then all of a sudden there's like interference from like his wife using the Spotify, so like in the middle of it like there's like you know just all of a sudden feedback in his phone from like the music playing, mm-hmm. and then he like so this all plays into the fact that he's like annoyed talking to me initially, and then I ask him a question about being like one of my favorite like pop slash soul artists. And I think I'm asking like a perfectly legitimate mm-hmm. question to John Oates because there are two things that Hall and Oates are known for, which are pop and soul. soul. For sure. Then yeah. he goes, and I, and I wanted to quote this because I had to write when I wrote it. I like, had to write it because it was like, he said it to me with like clenched teeth. You ever talk to somebody and you know when their teeth yeah. are clenched? Mm-hmm. Sarah, you've done it. When you, especially yeah. when you're talking to an artist in an interview and they, they hear a question, and especially an older artist, that they've heard a million times and they have to answer one way when they were like a young, relevant artist. But now that they're an old artist that doesn't give a fuck, they're just like, well, I'm just going to answer it the way I want to answer it. <laughs> so he goes, unfortunately, I'm going to severely disagree with you. I really detest definitions of genres like pop and soul. Those are just categories What's to up, me. What's up, Moses Sumney? <laughs> <laughs> right. Those are just categories to me. To a real musician, uh-huh. those categories are a pain in the ass. Creative people want to be free and not see boundaries. Pop means popular. It could be folk, dance, polkas. I don't care. Again, these are my own unique definitions. Continuing, let me say that soul music is not black music. It's not rhythm and blues music. It's music that comes from the heart, that touches something deep inside of your soul, and moves you emotionally, spiritually, or emotionally, physically, or spiritually. That's soul music. And I'm saying it the way that he said it to me. Yeah. Celtic soul music, Native American soul oh music. My. There's soul music all over the world. Music that's real and emotionally moving. These radio commercialized definitions of genres of music are bullshit. Well, Basically, damn, the songs that Daryl and I write come from our heart. 
and we put a lot of effort into the crafting of them. We try to connect the people with them. That's why we are soulful. We're popular because we sold a lot of records. Radio decided to play our songs, and we're very good at writing catchy hooks. That's what it is. When it comes to our music, there's no line of demarcation between pop and soul. Daryl and I have written a lot of great soul music that wasn't popular. We just set out to make music that's honest and real to us, and then the world decided that those records would be hits. When people are honest at doing something that they believe in, and they put their whole spirit behind it, that's how you reach people. The best artists, songwriters, and performers are able to conjure that up and translate that into songs that listeners love. Right, and we talked about. And he was so mad. Well, yeah, and and I, and I <laughs> but but like I I agree with that definition of soul music. Sure, yeah. yeah, and like, it's funny. He was just like, but he was so like. It's so like when it gets to this album, because mm-hmm. we talked about this album after the interview. Like we had like it's it's one of those things where like I do an interview for twenty minutes, yeah, and then I have and forty minutes of like talk, yeah. general conversation about whatever that you want to know that you know. Yeah, yeah, article, yeah. Right, and he's right. like, and he's like, what's your favorite Hall of Notes album? He's like, I bet it's H two O, and I'm like, no, it's Ben Luncheonette, and he's like, yeah, that's my favorite Hall of Notes record too, and I'm like, why? And he's like, well, he's like, if you look at it, like Arif told us at that point that we needed to like make a record. To decide who we are, yeah, and that's all the 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 mm-hmm. the, the in like the, the the inference they were given by the label going into the studio. This is crazy because it's like 1972, and in 2017, if an artist was given that kind of directive, God knows what would happen. It'd be a mess, right? Yeah. But like they, these guys are all like amazing players. He's like, yeah, like everybody that was in the record, we all like loved Philly Soul. We all loved rock and roll. We mm-hmm. all had been to every festival, and like John had like gone to. He had gone to Spain and toured Europe, like just went on like a getaway. Like after the first record flopped, he just like left America and went and mm-hmm. tried to find himself musically. So he comes back and then it's like, Arif's like, yeah, just find yourselves. And there was no like directive put on like, this has to sell X number of units or we need a hit. They were just like, yeah, just make some music. Yeah. Go do it. And this is what comes out. Right. And like, and all of this to him is soul music. Yeah. So like, well, it is every that's, single that's, thing, which is crazy. That's the secret to loving Hall and Oates. I think is that yeah. you understand. And like, there's there's not a lot of artists that you can say that about. But like, it's all soul music, even the bad songs. Mm-hmm. And there are there's some bad songs on this album. Let's be clear. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it, it as as uh, doing an anthropology in music, though, like if you hear like a song like I'm about to play and the connections, mm. it won't be immediate to what came later. Mm-hmm. But then if you think about like what this is representing and, and then what they talked about, it's it's like at this time, like what's popular Las Vegas, baby. Right. Right. Yeah. Vegas was popular. It's swanky. It's mm-hmm. saying you're lady. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's, it's all, it was not, not to put this in a horrible context. It was a different time. It was a different time. <laughs> no, it really it was. was. Time. But uh, but actually, uh, Daryl wrote this song, I believe, about uh, his partner, writing partner, and then eventual partner, Sarah. Mm-hmm. It's the same Sarah, Sarah from Sarah, Sarah Smiles. Smiles. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah right. Smiles. Not me. Um, contrary to popular yeah. belief. Yeah. <laughs> but how but, many dudes have ever used that line? So many. You? So many. <laughs> 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 But 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 here I you, figured that here you have like ask. in in 1973 this weird uh, soul disco hybrid before disco was even anywhere I mean I don't even know what this is well disco was invented in Philly yeah that's yeah. important Earl yeah, Scruggs yeah uh, of the Tramps and also Mother Father Sister Brother MFSB mm-hmm. the Sound of Philadelphia mm-hmm. um, 
he invented disco. So disco comes from Philly, and disco comes from a Philly drum pickup. Like, so back to your point yeah. about session musicians in Philly. Session musicians in Philly is the thing about Philly as yeah. a, as, a, as a city that makes it, that really shows through in this record is that Philly always feels like it's like third tier, not even second tier, mm-hmm. but like third tier. So like right. you're like, so you're not an A city. And you're not a B city, but you're like a C, C level city. You're not like Philly actually isn't in real yeah, life, rules. but Philly musicians feel like, okay, well, we can't do what LA's doing. We can't do what New York's, New York's doing. Right, right. We can't do what Detroit or Memphis or Chicago or Miami as well are doing. We have to come up with our own specialized things. So like the guy, the leading drummer, the leading like percussionist, the leading rhythm creator is Earl Scruggs from... Mm-hmm. Mother, father, sister, brother, mm-hmm. and um, you know um, the soul of Philadelphia, like Philadelphia International Records, and all that stuff. And so he's like, "Okay, well, I'm going to create this whole like way of playing a drum that I can speed up and slow down, and it still sounds the same no matter what tempo I play it." And so that's like kind of like, and that, that pickups all over his record, by the way. Yeah, because yeah. every mm-hmm. single Philly, every single great Philly drummer plays the drum the same way. Mm-hmm. Every single great Philly guitarist whether bass or lead, plays yeah. guitar the exact same way. It's it's a fascinating, like, little, like, tick. And you hear all of that stuff all over this record. So if you listen to this album, and if you listen to other records from, like, within a 10-year gap from yeah. it, there's so much stuff that, that starts here. Yeah, I agree. That, like, carries out friend, over, like, yep, a absolutely. whole, like, 10 to 15, even 15-year, like, period of, like, pop to soul music because there's that weird pop soul thing that's happening yeah and and, and look i've done the research and I, I can't find a song that sounds like this song anywhere and and it's the weirdest thing and if it weren't for that maybe i wouldn't be like this song's great but that is where it exists yeah. and uh and, and and it is great this is las vegas turnaround sarah's off on a turnaround flying gambling fools to the holy land las vegas Off on a turnaround, flying gambling fools to the holy land, Las Vegas. Sometimes she's here and sometimes she can't be found. Turn around in Sarah's of half hiding far above the clouds. How she flies, I know I gotta find her a place she can push her toes around. Where she can lounge and wear gown in Sarah turn around Turn Alright, Las, Las Vegas turn around Secret disco song Because it is in the in the beat like that you know that would oh, it is. you know just speed it up a little kids mm-hmm. and get going like I said that's a that's a Philly disco. that's a Philly soul drum pickup but, that Became disco, but it's also got like saxophone. It's got mm-hmm. John's wonderful like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and these are all uh, you know in the food world in 2018, people are really about deconstructed dishes and whatever. Mm-hmm. This is you know as you work through this album, you realize it's a weird deconstruction of of pop and soul, and yeah. doing it putting stuff where it not necessarily should be, but still keeping the song and really experimenting with it, and it comes off. As we get later in the record, um, <laughs> there's some there's some interesting effects here. You know the 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 title track "Abandoned Luncheonette," uh, which I think we'll get to. We have to get to. We have yeah. to do that because it's a story song and it sets the scene um, and puts it in the folk tradition. Quite honestly, mm-hmm. right? 
it's no longer just about like, hey, lady. Like it's 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 about like, whoa, this is a whole story, and this this thing happened. But uh, you know, you, they obviously are experimenting with instrumentation, right? Like they've got a lot of weird shit in there. But I think they, when I mentioned the psychedelia up front, like they were also looking into some of that. Joni Mitchell is big mm-hmm. at this time, which is the track we're going to get to. I think uh, that you mentioned, Sarah, yeah. like, like Laughing Boy, maybe. Yeah, you know, and think about the hits that they had, and then like think, but what if they did Joni Mitchell? What if they got super sensitive? What if there was like a just a sad, lonely horn playing to that? <laughs> and why do you think they would do that, though? I mean, Sarah, like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. You do. It's great, though. Right? Oh, but, it's but, great and strange and bizarre. Yeah. It's it's very. I'll, I'll play it and we'll come back. Yeah. Like, okay. yeah so, we'll, we'll, we'll play it and come back uh, because this is, uh, again, it feels like a wholly different band, quite honestly. This is this is a weird one. It's the next this to last album, one. but but when you consider what was going on, you consider the producer just being like, "Push, do what you want," yeah. mm-hmm. and and then being willing to go with it. It's it's fantastic. This is Laughing Boy. Pegged it as Johnny Mitchell Blue came out in 1972. Um, it gets into that, but I think it starts. I think you in the break correctly, Billy Joel, Piano Man, which it should be noted they were in Philly, but they both moved to New York Mm -hmm. to make this album. Uh, Piano Man, what you said was 73. 73. 73. 73. So he, man, somebody else we haven't talked about. Bunch of doo wop uh, and white Might not make dudes. people happy if we do. That's that's a real love hate relationship with people. Oh, for sure. But, yeah. Uh, no, but, but even that you, is just he wrote so... better. Yeah. <laughs> he wrote better. But yeah, it's a singer songwriter. Like, and, exactly. and, and if you want to go deeper, Tom Waits. Mm-hmm. They're not emulating Tom Waits at all. Right. But he's doing that same thing that all these guys are pulling from. They're like, how did you write that? <laughs> I'm gonna try to write it. And stuff. Was... But this this ends up on the same album with the songs we just played and one of the greatest pop songs of for all sure. time and. And that to tell you like the space and the, and the leeway they were given that that you don't get anymore. I mean, okay, so um, this is the era right before you 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 thought that white people could only make album oriented rock. Mm-hmm. Like this was a weird era in music. So like people have to understand. Okay, so like night people, I I think people don't understand just how close the sixties and seventies are. So like Woodstock is nineteen sixty nine. This album was made three years after Woodstock. Mm-hmm. 
Between 1969 and 1872, the music industry decided after, also you have to look at 72 as a year when like Janis Joplin is dead, Jimi Hendrix is dead, Mm -hmm. uh, San Francisco is overrun now to the point where everybody's taking speed instead of marijuana, and everybody's just cranked out of their minds, so all your favorite like hippy-dippy, peaceful-loving, happy people are all like... Speed freaks like losing their losing their losing their shit. Well, and to contextualize it, like think about um, and this is this is horrible, but I think it's apt. Uh, think about like the reaction in the music industry to nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and think about you know Woodstock was a positive, right? But then it's but it's, but it's followed 9/11 by was clearly not. But it's followed by an immediate negative. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. immediate, like you yeah. like okay. So another thing that people again people don't understand there's a real like the closest of the sixties and seventies. So like Woodstock happens, but then like. Nine months later, Altamont takes place. Right, right. Where the Hell's Angels right. are like kicking mm-hmm. hippies in the face. Which is some people say that's the end of the sixties. Right. right. And then there's like yeah. Charles Manson is somewhere in there uh-huh. and you're like, okay, yeah. there's like a lot of weird stuff. There's going like on. some weird yeah. stuff going but then that's on. My, and, and Vietnam is going on. And my point in comparing it to nine eleven was just to yeah. say is like it it people kept reacting to that and stuff. Like it you you don't consider how this stuff like we spent the year talking about, you know, people writing music about Trump. Which mm-hmm. is yeah. we're in the yeah. year 2018. Those records are going to come out in like 2020, right? right. Hopefully, when he's not in fucking office. Yeah. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but, yeah. but 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 you know, seismic shifts in the world cause it takes a while to catch up. Yeah, and people aren't aren't necessarily so, in tune. And so for this to be coming out for Billy Joel, yeah, I mean, well, think about that. I mean, I'll, <laughs> think about Blue coming out mm-hmm, in 1972. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, I want to okay to that point, like the session musicians. Note that all those bands that we talked about, like all the bands of the hippie era, like, you know, like, you know, Jimi Hendrix Experience and, you know, like, uh, say, um, like Jefferson Airplane, mm-hmm. bands like that, they aren't session musicians. These are people who literally just picked up instruments and are like, hey, man, I'm going to make a music. So, like, the session musicians well, of the... Well, no, Hendrix was. No, but he was, but he wasn't. He left. He, like, specifically left. And yeah, was I understand like, he left. I'm going to make... I- I don't want to paint the wrong picture. No, no, no. But the, I, let me, back then, people were that that they let me, they knew how to play. But let me continue though. The session musicians are doing like Strawberry Alarm Clock. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, I got like you. that's I got happening. You. So like the same people that made Strawberry Alarm Clock and like all like 1919 Fruit Gum Company or whatever, like mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, like. Which is like really milk toast and benign music that like also the same people that played on all the songs that like the uh, that um the Partridge family mm-hmm. created. These are all the same people who are then end up when Daryl Hall and John Oates have to make a record. Mm-hmm. And they've been restrained because the music industry at this point is like, OK, we're not going to touch anybody doing like acid coke, whatever. We're just going to like make straight ahead pop music that like kids like and that like people who aren't like speed freaks like but then like they've been restrained so they've been making this like really kind of restrained music that only when you hear like the breakdown in like love beat is a heartbeat by the defranco family do you get like Do you think this is them unrestrained yes. i feel like they're very restrained no, i feel but like they're they unrestrained everything because, together here because they get to do a different thing like they're mm. still these are session musicians people have to understand are like locomotive machines so if you take them out of one machine right. and you put them into another machine and all they want to do is like write cool like R&B ballads and quasi rock songs, then it's like, okay, we get to use these muscles we haven't used in like 10 years. Like 
oh my god, I haven't been able to play yeah. those notes together. Well, to- but they ground this, though. I think, too, even if they're less restrained than they normally right, are, I feel still- like they ground this. Like, this album's kind of fucking no, crazy and all over the place. Yeah, but it's and tight. The- yes, but it it's is tight. tight, though. That's the thing. It's tight because of them. Right. Right. But that's the thing, though, is, like, you go from, like, one brain... Which says you're playing a song that's going to be played at 7 p.m. on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. That's the song. Mm-hmm. To like, we really don't have an idea what this band is. Like, people have to understand that. Like, this was a point for Hall and Oates where like they're like right on the line of like, yeah, Hall Oates did not make them. Yeah, like right. we're gonna like like either either <laughs> we're because they it. named the album Hall Oates. Oates. Right. <laughs> either we're gonna force you guys to be album oriented rock, and you're gonna be like Chicago esque and just make like yeah. album oriented rock. Or you're going to make this kind of like, because they did it. This is still an era where like black exploitation movies hadn't come out yet. So like really in real, like large numbers. So you didn't have like a space for like album friendly R&B to like sell millions of records. Like people don't understand that. Like the single sold millions of copies, but the albums weren't like blowing everything out of the sure. water. Right. Until like, you know, you get like Willie Hutch being able to make like the Mac soundtrack. And it's like, okay, you're making a soundtrack for a movie then you have a giant budget and you can put like 47 violins on a song and it's like perfectly yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. And so, so soul is not like a thing. So like this is an album that falls like squarely between those two eras, like squarely, mm-hmm. like right between these two. So like, they're like, okay, so don't make a soul record. Don't, you can experiment with soul and you can do some kind of soulful ish stuff, but don't make a soul record. Also don't make a rock record. Cause whole Oats sucked. Like it didn't do jack for us. Like we didn't. We couldn't. I, it I love wood. it. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> it went wood, but, but for the purpose of mainstream music, yeah, it right. went wood. For like sure. it didn't go platinum. Sure. It didn't go gold. It went wood. Did not. <laughs> didn't sell a thing. Listening to this, going back and listening to this, and then listening to that, oh. being like, oh, and in lunch and that is crazy. Whole oats is gonna kill it. It did not kill no, it. Yeah. It, didn't. it did no, not like, kill it. So you're right in this. You're right in this space in time where yeah. like. You have really gifted musicians who are like, okay, we're playing for a band that really doesn't know who they want to be. Because mm-hmm. I mean, and this, and if for the first time, like for guys like this, it's the first time they've played on stuff like this since like the Mamas and the Poppers at Eleven Spoonful and stuff like that, right. where it's like, hey, we got some fun, cool kids that do a harmony, sure. play some stuff behind them, whatever. And they haven't done that in a long time, I'm mm. sure. So it's like, wow. And these guys like wrote the music and they, they wrote the songs and. They just kind of want us to like fill in around them, and sure, we don't we have do any that. right. We don't have any rules. <laughs> so like the horn player well, that doing amazing. So the horn job. player that just showed up. It just showed up. Yeah, he just showed up. He's like hanging out in the room. Mm-hmm. They're like, brother, you got a horn? Cool. We got sixteen right here. <laughs> Jump on this. Like play right here. <laughs> yep. You got sixteen like right there. Yep. Like go for it. Whatever. Whatever you want on those and bars. He and he did. It's crazy. Um, I want to get into, uh, first of all, I want to correct something we said. Oates actually wrote that Las Vegas turnaround. Oh. Uh, but it was Sarah. It was about Sarah. Okay. Uh, and um, he, speaking of Oates and speaking of that interview, <laughs> Which and, is, and, and speaking of hilarious. how this album is all over the place, there's two songs on here that he uh, specifically wrote and sings on that give you both sides of how wildly, like how free they had to have been in the studio to mm-hmm. make this happen. Because one, the first one absolutely works. That I'm going to play a little part of the second one. We're going to have to talk about, <laughs> Oh Lord. Uh, I think I know what it is. Well, no, but, but the first one, the first one is the second track on the album. Uh, and, and it is, uh, 
It's a, man, it's it's just a sweet it's a sweet sentiment. It is a great song. Uh, this is Had I Known You Better Then. In the past few days I've grown Love the giggles on the phone And how we hug so nicely And from the first time that I saw you Had I known you better then I would have said those three old words And from the first time that I saw That's a very sweet sentiment. Gorgeous, yeah. Any better it, yeah, it, it's gorgeous, mm-hmm. and, it, and it hits the mark, and it, and it leans leans heavy into the old soul tradition mm-hmm. of what they were doing. Um, and uh, I say folk too. It's fo- yeah, very folky. De- de- yeah. Definitely folk. There's a lot of folk on this. Um, a little later on in the album, though, <laughs> uh, a few tracks later, a little cringy. There's well, I still think it's a it's a great song. It's but beautiful. It, it's cringy though. But it is. I'm just gonna play it, and then we'll 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 tell you the title, and then and we'll discuss like what the fuck is going on here. Uh, and uh, here you go. Come on, mess around with me. Will you survive? Learn to try. I know you can't describe the dreams you wanna be. The stay, to get away. I'm playing around, can't you tell the way I'm squeezing your hand? I'm just a kid, don't make me feel like a man. (laughs) Silly girl, I'm just playing. Now did you think that I'd be nuts enough to try to pick you up, don't you know? It's all a game I've been playing, but which say name was? Just walk with me. Now, just around the corner, baby, maybe you could even try to talk with me. All right, guys, in the spirit of Me Too and whatnot... Can anybody in this room tell me uh, what I'm just a kid, don't make me feel like a man means? Beyond the obvious, first of all, it's Maggie you, May. Using, using uh, adult males, mm-hmm. using little girl <laughs> in, in, a, in a song is canceled. Let's, let's just yeah. say that. It's been canceled for a long time. Done. Bruce's song is the last straw. Yes. Yeah. I've talked about this with many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you like, talked about this podcast. Hogan, Hogan is as grossed out about it by, as I am. 
That's it. It's nasty. Yeah, I no. love that song, but that's nasty. <laughs> you said it right. That's fucking it's nasty. nasty. It's disgusting. So, but this is seventy two. Like that was eighty four. Different time. Eighty four. Different times that they say. <laughs> but what the fuck does? And look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, John, if you're listening. You can you can call in or whatever, email us and let let us know. Contextualize this. I racked my brain for damn near twenty years <laughs> trying to figure out what the fuck the context is for that. Where you would be? I'm just a kid. Don't make me feel like a man. Like what? Like it's, it's, it's Maggie May. What? Come on. What? It's Maggie May. <laughs> well, it's the same. It's the same. Okay, so it's the same premise that allows Rod Stewart to feel okay to make Maggie May. Because it's a real thing that happened in the rock. And, and, and okay, so like Big Rock, right? When Big Rock was a thing, because this is still an album. But, but Maggie May is an older woman taking advantage of a of younger young Rod Stewart. Mm-hmm. Right, but still, it's the, same, it's the same premise of like, okay. No, no that's very different, dude. No, very different, right? <laughs> no, but it's in the same. No, you that's, have it. That's very different. No, I'm sorry. Right. Inverse is. No, but okay, so, <laughs> in, so in the realm. Okay, so in the realm of rock. So, like, if we're talking about this as, like, okay, so, like, everybody's a rock star. This yes. is 1972. Everybody's a rock star. Nobody's, like, a medium-range star. You're <laughs> sure. not, like, a you're not like a, a, an also-ran, middle-class performer like you can be in, like, Moses Sumner or somebody in yeah. 2017 where you're, like, <laughs> I made $54,000 this year, and I'm a star. It's, yeah. like, no, that's not even, you're not, right. this, this is a whole different other era. So, like, young young girls and old chicks are the only people banging these guys. Let's just be, let's just keep it real. Okay. That's the ideal range you want. You don't want anybody that's generally your age doing this. Mm. Which is like which is where a song like this comes from. Because you only sing this song if you've like been in that situation where like you're hooking up with somebody of questionable age and you're a rock and roll star. What does he say after little girl? Do we have the li- like what other creeper stuff is said in this don't song? Don't make me feel like a man is the worst part where right. it's like yeah, yeah. where it's well, like what's, what's the what's the story? What's the narrative on this well, one? Well, the narrative is it, it, I think uh it, that he is like it is like a hookup song. Right. And and it's hooked up and 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 it is you can look at it two different ways. You can look at it like hey, I'm an you know, we're the same age. We're together. Right. I, I want to remember what it's like to be a kid young, in love. Right. And exactly. And, and yes. Which, which yes. I'll, I'll don't get, make me grow up. Don't make yeah. me adult. That's the I'll, generous I'll, interpretation. I'll give yes. John, and, and I'll sure. give that to John Oates. Sure. I would, too. Yeah. I will. The unintended yes. context of it that is 90% versus that 10% possible mm-hmm. is that it is an older person mm-hmm. who is looking back and saying, hey, I have this younger person. And whether it is 40, 20, 50, 30, <laughs> or 25, 15. Yeah. Uh, that, it, that, it is somebody, that, that is somebody where is somebody is tired of adulting and doesn't have a problem with getting with somebody much Ugh. maybe inappropriately younger. Than sure. And I don't. Like I said, I don't think that was the intention in writing the song. I hope not. Yeah, I hope not. No, but it's a different time. Well, John Oates time. next but, time you talk to him, Marcus. I, I yeah, but, but it was a different time, and that's why it, it actually may well be because it's totally. Uh, it's, we're giving yeah. him the benefit of the doubt, yeah. but, but it's almost famous, man. It's 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 Penny right. Lane, right. Exactly. you know, it's, exactly. And right. Penny Lane is you know what seventeen, and it's like okay, she's on the road with you know Led Zeppelin or whatever. But, but it's a it's 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 a key, I think, into what you know, they were writing about or trying to write about. It's one of the slips in into the old trope of rock music, soul music, any music is like for dudes, it's just all about getting the girl. Yeah. 
I picked up a good guitar because I got I wanted to get the girl. Mm-hmm. I did this because I wanted to get the girl. And you know we've seen now that how toxic that has become <laughs> for sure. Yeah, uh, regardless of your intentions going into it, but uh, I, I, those two songs in particular on this album always make me laugh because the first one is just. A classic, sweet mm-hmm. evocation yeah. of just emotion the way it should be done. And this one is like, ah, oh, what do you hear? You? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not uh, going to leave you alone with my daughter. What? It's, <laughs> like, it's, it's we're in Dallas today. We're in Houston tomorrow. We're in yeah. New Orleans right. on Friday. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we're going to be singing the exact same song all three nights. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that was one of the ones that was split off. And, and sorry to pick on John Oates on that. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but that was one that was split off You're all week. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, a thing that to be noted, too, about this album, about this band, is that in general, Daryl Hall plays keys, and he can play guitar, but he, he's, he's, a, he's a dude. He's a multi-instrumentalist. Right. He's the dude. Uh, but the duties are generally split between um, vocals and guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, on this, even though this is credited with uh, for being Daryl Hall writing this, and, and this is the track that that is the album cover. Um, there's a whole history. I'll put a link to it, but it's kind of fascinating. It's like a diner that got disassembled in in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and moved out, and they went and did it and took a, a photo of it, and then that's the cover we're looking at right now. But this is uh, one of two points on the album, I think, where they really lean into. You know, we mentioned Billy Joel and stuff, but mm-hmm. going back. You had stuff like uh, Neil Young and the stuff Paul Simon was doing, and where not stylistically, I don't think, but I think uh, just being good writers. Period. Sure. Okay, so this song to me, let's, let's, of... let's do it after. Okay, let's cool. Do it after, but uh, it's a title track. I got excited. I know. I know. <laughs> t- t- title track for this, and uh, and it is uh, remains, I think, and one of the more exquisite piece of. Music writing, like, period. It's just. So it's provocative. Gets me going. Sipping imaginary cola and drawing faces in the tabletop dust. His voice was rusty from years as a sergeant in this man's army. Old and crusty. She was twenty when the diner was a baby. He was a dishwasher, busy in the back, his hands covered with gravy. Hair black and wavy, brilliantine slick. was young and randy day to day today today then they were all their lives wasted away 
Um, yeah, Bayman Lunchmith, that is just the writing on that song. That is classic American fiction. Yep. You know, and pick your pa- favorite author of whatever mm-hmm. period, and that that evokes the. I mean, it's 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 one of those things that, as somebody who writes and also can play music, it always baffles me how you can combine the two because it's mm-hmm. it really is two different forms. I mean, you guys are both writers here, yeah, and 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 there's there's a certain musicality that you bring out in language when you use it, but. Sure. But when you directly interpret that into something and you take this that could have, you know, this could have been like some weird future version of Great Gatsby, you know, just a chapter mm-hmm. and describe it as so uh, uh, hands covered in gravy, brilliantine <laughs> slick. Um, these are and, and uh, the, the guy was feeling Randy. Randy. For years, I wondered who was young and Randy. For years, I was wondering who's Randy, and then I was like, oh. <laughs> so and beautiful, but not just not obtuse, not that right. weird, intentionally obtuse sort right. of songwriting right. that people. Yeah, and you were saying you were saying, days. and it reminded you a lot of like the work that the Beatles did. Very which, Beatles. At very this point, epic, the Beatles are very, breaking up. Yep, exactly. Like they're they're, they're hitting the skids. at this point. There, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and. We've never really talked about the Beatles on this podcast, but b- be clear, all these people making albums, the Beatles was it. For sure. Because everybody in 72, people were still thinking that the Beatles were going to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Because everybody thought that like, okay, so Wings isn't that good. Just like Fugazi, <laughs> it's over. Right, like, wing, like Wings isn't that good. <laughs> like, like not, but like, no, by comparison to the Beatles. By comparison, right. By comparison. I, oh, come by on. comparison. <laughs> By comparison, is, is "Wonderful Christmas Time" a Wings no, song or Paul McCartney? That's 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 a Paul McCartney, McCartney. song. Okay, but he's but, but it's Paul McCartney and Wings, so it's like it's it's got okay. that double horrible like thing that people okay. do. But okay, we like so, Wings more now than they did back then, right? Yes, so you have like sure. so it's like Wings and George Harrison solo stuff is all good, but it's not as good as like the White Album was. It's not as good right, as Let right, It Be right, was. Sure, right. it's like no, so maybe one day. After all this stuff, and John Lennon's doing God knows what in 1972. He's he's hanging out with Harry Nilsson. Yeah, he's hanging out in L.A. like producing do, his albums, doing all the stuff, yeah. just doing stuff. So like, okay, so I always look back at Abandoned Luncheonette, and I look, I go back to um, Arlo Guthrie's Alice's Restaurant, mm-hmm. um, and it, that's a it's clearly hu- like that's clearly a thing. Like, yeah, that, yeah, it's a huge, and that record was a huge record because it was like one of the first times, like one of like the kind of like folky hippie-ish people was really kind of like touching back into like so i think people forget about hippies and it's important to this song too is that hippies all came from a place and it was always in a lot of cases like people like janice joplin and stuff like that they were coming from like the most boring places yeah where there was like a diner sure and there was a school yeah mm-hmm. and there was a record store yeah. and there was a woolworths or whatever and that's all there was there was nothing else so like when you get to the east coast guys Especially because it's funny when you talk about a band of and then you talk about Piano Man. When you get to the East Coast guys who are from small East Coast towns talking about the exact same stories that mm-hmm. like people from the South and the Midwest are talking about. You expect this out of the South and Midwest. You expect these like small town agrarian stories mm-hmm. of there was a restaurant and Alice was the waitress and she had a life. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. You're from Nowheresville, right. tech, uh, you know, Nowheresville, Kansas. We all have those touch points, no matter where you're from. Right. Yeah, and, then when, yeah, and then when the East mm-hmm. Coast people get into it, you're expecting from the East Coast, you're expecting these records about, like, 
Madison Square Garden, you know, whipping out your cock and, you know, having sex and doing the whole, like, Led Zeppelin thing. And instead you get, like, a band of luncheonette. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. bong. And then when you when you listen to the, the way that it's, if you listen to the way that it's written, and you, you the story is so evocative. Mm-hmm. It's stunning because this is... Even if you aren't from a small town, you want to believe that that small town exists. Yes. You want to believe that... You want to believe that you've been in that diner, and 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 it is. I, I would place the diner itself in. I mean, it's abandoned, obviously now, but uh, in like maybe the fifties, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. a different mm-hmm. time where if, there's there's and in the fifties there was a lot of uh, in music, especially, but a lot of uh, sexual tension, attraction, and stuff like that, just under the surface. Mm-hmm. That's why I use the term like Randy, right? Yeah, right. Uh, and it's also period specific. Yeah, very yeah. period specific. Yeah, can... But by nineteen seventy two that is gone. Yes. So that so they were but we've had the sexual revolution, we've had the summer of love, we've had everything, and yet they're going back to a time before that with this and reaching back. Which maybe that's what the last and, song we heard about I'm just a boy, don't make me feel like a man has mm-hmm. to do with more with the sexual revolution. So, I don't know. Right. So there's there's the thing with like modernity in in this era. So like the Astrodome. I'm a big fan of like the '70s, huge fan. Mm-hmm. So like the Astrodome becomes a thing at this point. Like the Astrodome is a big thing in American history because it's the first time that like we acknowledged as Americans, like past like you know the space shuttle like going up to the moon, that like the era of American prosperity where like things were very basic and things were very planned down to the communities, down to the stores, down to every single city that emerged after World War II. Happened like the, everything, everything was planned. Everything was a Levitt town, and the abandoned luncheonette as a as a as a a, a statement point yeah. is incredible because you have to make the luncheonette abandoned because you're moving in some kind of like space age modern thing into the middle of sure. whatever sure. city you live in, and and there's a lot of fear on this record that I think is important to understanding, especially that well, a lot of it also played out on War Babies, the next record. Yeah, right? where exactly. they really dealt with right. uh their thoughts on Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and it's frightening because so like if you think about it, right? If you live in an urban setting, like they moved to New York, but they were from Philly. These are two very urban places. So like when stuff happens where like the luncheonette that's been on your the, the corner down the street mm-hmm. since like nineteen forty seven and say it's like nineteen seventy one you know, gets like moved out, like physically moved. Like they physically take the thing, they put it on a on a on a flatbed truck, and it's gone. And then in its stead is what some kind of urban, probably some kind of kind of urban youth center thing that's yeah. existing on a corner because all the black kids are like hooked on heroin or coming back from the war, and their parents have you know beat them, and there's like horrible things happening in urban settings. And I'm not saying this to be funny, but that's really what it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and I if think that's why it sounds good now because we're going through a similar yeah. transition. Well, like, we, I feel like it feels if I very warm up, right now. It does to, feel very warm right now. For sure. what, I mean, what do you guys think about this idea that you know when we talk about modern soul, mm-hmm. you know, and and stuff, there's not really um, a place for anything like this. Uh, Modern Soul has gone towards something you know I hate vibes. Okay, the only the only person the only person that made this record is Aaron is Ab. Maybe yeah. The only person, literally, the only person in in R and B that made a record that like actually feels like this is Ab. And, and maybe that's why I love that record. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, why I love the record, and that's but... why like when we, when I played you the Kalila record, yeah. which for <laughs> everybody else in the known universe is a quote unquote better record, yeah, didn't resonate with you, yeah, because it, it's it about... didn't at all, but. 
but vibe. It's, it's about vibe, it's about vibe. But but but, <laughs> but no. About that? <laughs> uh, uh, but but look, like but but I mean, this idea though that uh, this is second or third generation soul mm-hmm. being mutated out and like it's still taking chances and still like going, okay we're gonna do soul we're gonna do f- like folk disco we're gonna do like some weird jazzy shit like whatever strange it? funk on the yeah. end yeah like and, the that, and, and that and that we don't necessarily see that anymore because of what you're talking about the rate of connectivity mm-hmm. people I don't think necessarily have that like if you Ask somebody now who's under what, like, I'd say even 35, mm. 30. What's a luncheonette? No idea. No clue. <laughs> Literally no idea. No clue. And, like, that's that's a major part of American history. Mm-hmm. Right. And not just American cultural history. Like, when if you live in a town that doesn't have any, uh, any venues or anything, like, right. you have a jukebox and luncheonette, and it's also the place where you go to eat and meet. If, so... If you go abroad, if you go to Iceland, right, mm-hmm. there are towns that are maybe there's like 500 people in there. There's one place to eat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you meet there and you come from like sometimes 100 miles away mm-hmm. to meet people on Friday. And that's your point of connection. And that's where a lot of I think soul comes from is the, the connection and everything. But and and having lost that because now everything is like hyper connected. It's like we're all together right. and stuff. Sure. And and so that specificity, I think, isn't necessarily even possible anymore. Yeah, you know, it's if, so. So for like people listening to this who are from the DC area, the only luncheonette that you can find in the DC area that still exists, mm-hmm. you have to go to Warrington, Virginia. Yeah, yeah, and it's in a Kmart. Mm. It's literally in the front and to the right. Of a Kmart Supercenter in Warrington, Virginia. It's the only luncheonette. Yeah. That's like functional and in like an urban setting that, that's left. Everything else, you're going like far out into like, you know, Fredneck and Frederick for people who don't know. I call it Fredneck. Fredneck. You have to go up to nice. Fredneck or you have to go out to like, you know, like way past Fairfax. But like the place that's like relatively close and still on the grid of sorts. Well, you can find it still in like I think uh, just speaking in Virginia and going down there, you can find it in collapsing communities still, mm-hmm. like that, that didn't catch up. Yeah, and that's and, where and that's what it is. And but that doesn't ever make it into art, right? But, that, no, but it does. But, it, but, it, but <laughs> right, that, that's not. <laughs> it but not. it did though because it, and they it, wouldn't call it a luncheonette either. Right. No. But it, in this, be like, that's just a food place. <laughs> but that's the genius of this era is that so many of the great songs, like Piano Man as well. Piano Man is largely about a depressed bar. Yeah. In the middle of a city. I read something recently or saw something where there was some like massive wave of hate for that song. And to anybody who co-signs that, I'm I'm just here to say, go fuck yourself. No, like that song is is amazing. It's great. I know. It's, it's, I it's know. like, like I mean, on. it's like okay. So like for people to like contextualize this, like contextualize like so, Piano Man came out in '73. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. important to talk about this, like in in context with this song. Well, because they were technically I don't album. know if they knew each other, but they were technically peers. Yeah, right. absolutely. So he was on Columbia at the time. I think uh-huh. I think that's when they just came out. He yeah, was on, they they're on Atlantic. Moved to RCA, which was owned by. Columbia. Or was it vice versa? Vice versa. Okay, yeah. 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 So, so like, okay, so what is it? The waitress is practicing politics. Yeah. So that means that she's like, you know, a college student. 
Mm-hmm. So she's a college student in 1973, yep. which means if she's a senior or say she's a junior, she started college in 1970. So that means that she's starting college around the time of Kent State, mm-hmm. which means that this is a, a, a college that's in a community probably where there's a whole bunch of people who are like, we don't like them hippies because she's practicing politics. Mm-hmm. She's actually practicing it. So that means that it's not like resonating with anybody. So that means she's walking up to people at the bar and talking about, you know, probably like anti-war rhetoric. And they're looking at her like she has four heads. And, you know, like there's like, you know, like there's a bunch of blue collar people that enter the bar. There's blue collar people with all sorts of blue collar jobs just mm-hmm. walking into the bar to have a drink at the end of the night. Yeah. Nobody's staying for like five drinks. Because these people are all economically depressed. They're each having like a drink. Mm-hmm. And then there's the piano man who isn't playing, you know, like brand new songs. He's playing the American standards. And he's in the middle of the bar. And this is a fascinating thing to think about because this is a place that clearly is stuck in time mm-hmm. and yeah. will never remove itself. That's why the song remains well, we iconic. Have, yeah, and, and, we, and we have like that. Fun, fun and related fact, my mom was on the grand jury for the Kent State shootings. Really? Yeah, so I can tell you all about yeah, that. Wow, like, that yeah. is... Yeah. What? So what? I, I can tell you all about that later, but uh, it might be a whole other thing. Uh, but yes, that and, is Sarah and I are currently like yeah, yeah we're just uh, gobsmacked. But but you know yeah, I mean to that point is like what what they're talking about a lot here and what we talk about not just in this album but in art going forward. The best art reflects the time that you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and look if we're in. If we're in the shit zone now, then I guess everything's gonna suck. The shit zone, I love it. <laughs> but but you know, back the then it, this was with with songwriters like this. Um, I'd even say like Bill Withers. Got to Bill Withers. You know who who was doing? I, I listened to live at Carnegie Hall just this morning, and it's all these different facets to soul that you can do. That borrowed from, regardless of race, borrowed from all different fucking mm-hmm. things. Because yep. like, Bill's got those Congos going. That's some hippie shit. Yeah. That is some fucking hippie shit. And Bill's just like, whatever, I'm from West Virginia, man. There you go. And, and I mean, again, Bill Withers is from West Virginia. People forget that. All which the time. I realized watching that we've never done a Bill Withers podcast. So I've never do been down here and we haven't mentioned Bill Withers. Because I mean, yeah. really? Bill, Bill's yeah. the best. <laughs> yeah, like, Bill's the best. I mean, remember the first? I think we were here the first time we mentioned Bill Withers. You and I, yeah. And I confessed that Bill Withers is the best. Yeah, he is. He is is absolutely the best. But uh, so, so the point is, is that you know, you had these two gentlemen, as you've seen uh, over the course of this hour, that were writing at the top of their game. This is not an album full of hits, uh, obviously, uh, but it is, to my mind, some of the I won't say best, but some of the more interesting work coming out there. This had to be weird. Oh, I, 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 this had to be weird. Yeah. Like if you heard it, it had to be like, but what? What are, you, <laughs> what are you doing? Especially, I know you don't like the last song. I don't think we like it either. Yeah, really like that's a little. Yeah. Let's, let's get a little little dose of that before we finish it. But this is a the last song goes some places. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I look at you. <laughs>
get away from that. They don't want none of that. They don't want none of that. The place he goes to is a porn shoot. Because there's a guy with a Wawa pedal in the studio. I'm yeah, almost yeah. positive that's what it is. When you listen to most of this record and You're there's right. just stuff yeah, that happens. Probably yeah. some dude like, have you seen this wah pedal? Like, yeah, man, let's do it. But after, <laughs> after Laughing Boy, and he goes straight into like, let's hit the porn shoot, guys. Bizarre. Like, it's bizarre. bizarre. But that's what that's part of the charm of this record because it, it they were honing their craft. Uh, they were trying to figure out who they were. They had an edict. Like, you guys got to figure out who you are. Not yeah. we're going to drop you, but like... Go for broke. Yeah, your, like, your thing that you think artists should be doing is just like, if nothing is selling or nothing is doing this, just do whatever. Do, do whatever. Do it all. Mm. And they did. But what's important about this and hilarious that this did not hit until, what, like 76. Yeah. There's three years after, is that the formula that you guys all like know and love, love. they hit. I'm going I'm to tell us. I, I have a story mm-hmm. about She's Gone that I want to tell before we hear. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the story? Go. Okay, so I, I thought you were going to like tell me to go back to it, but okay. So the way that this broke, it's a funny story. Nah, I go back to it. No. So, well, I, God, okay. So, okay, so like this was an era in, in R&B radio where you have guys like Frankie Crocker, who's like a, a iconic, Melvin Lindsay as well in D.C. Absolutely. Who are iconic R&B like legends in the sense that they were the people who like, you know, broke the records. They were the music, mm-hmm. they were the disc jockeys on radio. Uh, Melvin Lindsay in DC and uh, Frankie Crocker in New York, who like you know they they and they weren't beholden to playing certain records because R and B radio was like a brand new thing and they didn't think that really black people listen to radio like listen listen to radio they knew that they listened to like the songs that were like shoved down their throats so like the fourteen stacks records and like the twelve Motown records and like yeah. the six records from you know like you know Columbia there's two from another label and that's it so. The thing is, though, is that like for guys like Frankie Crocker and Melvin Lindsay, they would play the Quiet Storm format <laughs> at a certain hour of the night when nobody gave a shit what yeah. they were playing. It's like, oh, people listen to the radio at 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And so everybody liked this record. So like music people. Yeah. Liked a banjo mm-hmm. luncheonette. Like maybe maybe like people, people who buy records were at like a banjo luncheonette, the greatest record of all time. But, like, people who like music. So, like, people who, like, say, break records on urban radio at 11 o'clock at night. Like Hall and & Oates. And you reach a point, say, if you're, like, in the middle of, like, doing, like, week 12 of, like, a run. And it's, like, you're doing five nights a week. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, Thursday night. And you're, like, oh, okay. So, I've played the, the Billy Paul. And i played this I- record. And this guy. And this guy. What, what if I played that one song... Of that Hall and Oates record that I love. Well, to that point, I mean, yeah. and this is something I didn't do for this one, uh, and we usually do, but let's look at like what was going on in '73. Yeah, Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, <laughs> Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Mm. Inner Visions. Oh yes. Goat's Head Soup. Uh, By the way, when when Stevie released Inner Visions, it like dwarfed everything else in black music. Yep. And everything else in soul music, sure. R&B, whatever. Houses, whatever you Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Selling England by the Pound by Genesis. That was uh, the year Raw Power Broke by the Stooges. The first Leonard Skinner album. Mm-hmm. Quadrophenia. Greetings from Asbury Park. This thing didn't stand a chance. 
Yeah, you can no, see why no, Sobel loves song I'm looking through, get like, buried. Like, <laughs> brothers and sisters, the Almond Brothers, fucking come on. Like, there's no way. There's no Chicago 6. <laughs> like, there's no oh, way. Oh, there's definitely no way. Yes, songs. <laughs> yeah. Double actually was a quadruple live. I've got it upstairs on yeah, the There's no way. This thing didn't stand Crowded a fucking field. chance. Crowded field. Yeah. Crowded field. And, and that's probably, that's, that's why I got buried. Yeah. <laughs> It's like so, yeah. So, like, if you're that like a, sense. so you're an R and B disc jockey at like, but o'clock at night when nobody cares what what you play and there's no format that you have to follow, and then you're like, oh, I'm gonna play this Hall of Notes record. And so the thing about black radio in this era, it's not like this anymore, and it's sad that it's not like this. It's like if you played a record in Philly, and it like lit up your phone lines, then you would call your friend in New in New York and say, hey, Frankie, man, I played this record. Just lighting up my lines. You might want to try it. Mm-hmm. You know the Hall and Oates song from from a band of Luncheonette. You know, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it. Yeah, yeah. I'll play it. Cool. Yeah, so it doesn't work that way anymore. All right. And nope. then it's like, and then he calls Melvin in DC. Like, hey, Melvin, man, I got this Hall and Oates record, man. You know the Hall and Oates record? Oh yeah, the Hall and Oates record. I want to play it too. Yeah. Cool. And then you just and it goes up and down like a coast, mm-hmm. and then it starts to spread into like so like Chicago is in the middle of the country. People don't understand that. There's like little things that are important to this. Chicago's in the middle of the country, but Chicago shoots out nationwide. Yeah, for sure. In the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. especially. Because if you could break something in Chicago, yeah. and I didn't know this until I went to Chicago, Chicago's like a thousand yards long. Mm-hmm. Chicago's like a gigantic city. So, like, the south side of Chicago is like massive. So, like, if you could yeah, break a song it's... and everybody in Chicago knows it, then, like, yeah, maybe this this song is a chance. Yeah, you're working with something. Mm-hmm. And then you go from like Chicago, and the first people that like, get something out of it when it breaks in Chicago is like L.A. Because it's like, oh, this broke in the middle of the country. So like, yeah, maybe you guys out there where there's like people kind of like disparately spread might want to try it too. And that's what happened. Like it like spread that way. And like black radio, and this is where like the black narrative when mm-hmm. Hall & Oates begins, and that's important to mention here, is the moment yeah. when, like, this is the moment when, like, black people are like, these are our white guys. <laughs> that and Michael McDonald. Yes. Grace. <laughs> like, these are our white guys. <laughs> and what's fascinating is that after, after they do the, uh, the, the War Babies record, yeah. they double down into this thing of, like, we are black America's favorite white guys. Yeah. And I'm sure, and I, and I asked John about this, and he, he didn't even blink and he and he was like that's not true because i'm sure that you don't want to like walk around and be like yeah black people just love us so no, we just play music right, yeah, right and for you can't them say that. but that's exactly what happened yeah i mean as evidenced though by by their their album sales after war babies just went to the bottom like <laughs> yeah. they, they and uh, then they come back with and it's good material like right yeah. but then they come back with all of the r&b records they come back with rich girl yeah and that's a, and that's Sarah an r&b Smile. record yeah. yeah but 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 this is i think if you scan these first three records, this is where it started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and um, this still, like, I don't even, what the fuck is this doing on this album? <laughs> but this is, you this can is, make it. But when did, the, when did this pop? It was three years later? Three years, four years, three years later? later? Three years later. Because every black radio DJ knew but this let's song. Play yeah. this, let's play a little bit. Hold on a second. She's gone. Everybody's high on consolation. Everybody's trying to tell me what is right for me. My daddy tried to bore me with a sermon. But it's plain to see that they can't 
She's gone, and uh, as we were saying, uh, we said before, like, this thing really did, didn't stand a chance. For, for a couple reasons. First of all, when you get, when you get into that song, the, uh, the pervy grooves that we played on this, you know, it, it all synthesizes into this stuff, and it's like they were dancing around it the entire album. And, and you said something interesting in the break, that they probably cut this song and thought, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and that, and that, that might be that might we don't know, but that might be the case because what it sounds like, uh, having examined it at least two to three thousand times, it, to me is is the work of they have this good song, and then they have a producer that has the sense to reveal like the the song the big song is the end. You got the strings kicking in, you got the horns, you got these big swoops, these cinematic things, and and it kicks it up to a key. Like a nice little like get you, get you the drama like artificial drama, but it it didn't. That sounds like all stuff that is maybe done like uh, by a producer. Yeah, Reeves Mardine, yeah, specifically, and 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 that saw the power that these guys had as writers, and and the whole album ends up contextualized with this, which sits in the middle of it to me at least, as uh, basically them searching for that hollow note sound, and. Right. Unbeknownst to anybody at the time, they found it. This is so. That song is so. Uh, first of all, it's eighties. Yeah, of course it is. That's that's straight okay. disco accompaniment. Yeah. So we're talking like eight years, nine years before its time. Mm -hmm. It's so like future forward as far as what music, what how soul was going to evolve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How everything with the changes that everything was going to go through, uh, and. They they had not only did they not stand a chance because of what was out that year, but they had no way of knowing that. Why would you if you were Hall and Oates, why would you duplicate this, the next record, if A, it didn't play. Right. Like it, 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 it didn't it didn't play. But B, like the stuff that you're proud of is the weird shit. You wouldn't. You just you just wouldn't. And then looking forward in their career in the eighties, they clearly recognized it at some yeah, point. Yeah. They it's clearly so, were yeah. like, what do we do right? that yeah because at some point and, yeah. and every song yeah. every hit song they have is modeled i would argue is absolutely that formula oh, oh, absolutely that formula mm -hmm. oh, totally. and they hit it every time yep. like that and that's like how a true like master of a craft works regardless of what you think of hollow notes they rock the fucking form mm -hmm. I'll, I'll put it like this like there's a thing okay so my mother's favorite group when i was growing up was hollow notes uh, H2O is like literally the most important <laughs> yeah. record in my my in my childhood. It's a sweaty album. Cover. I heard, oh, it's just the cover <laughs> alone, right? But uh, but no, so um, so and it's funny, like it's one. So because when I got in, when I decided I was going to be a music journalist, mm -hmm. it's one of the first records I downloaded because I'm like I'm going to do this, and so I have to go to like the music that like I grew up on mm -hmm. and listen to it with these journalist ears that I had suddenly developed. And the 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 funny thing about like electronics. When it mixed with the Hall & Oates sound, which made it better, 
is that Hall and Oates were so locked in. Like, when they discovered a thing, every song on this record, when they discover what the thing is, they lock in on it with surgical precision. And even yeah. if it's mm -hmm. terrible, they carry that thing out to the end. Mm -hmm. yep. Like, okay, we're, we're making a, a really rapey ballad. We're going to take it all yep. the way to its most logical end yep. and do the whole thing note perfect, David Gurr, like this is what it is. Mm -hmm. So then when you get like IK Go for that and all the ones that have like the, the, the drum machine in it, it's like, okay, so you're taking people whose like whole thing is like surgical precision and then you're giving them machines that exemplify surgical precision. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then it's like man eater, the same thing. It's yeah. like, so the hits only get better. Yeah, like that's the that's the wild part about Hall and Oates is like they made great hits with like note perfect precise musicians. Yeah, and that's the key. Like a lot of people don't get that. Like because there's cause, okay, so like there's a thing about like because everybody wonders like when you talk about the seventies, like why didn't Motown stay on top and why didn't Stack stay on top? There's a thing with like the quality of musicianship from like the Funk Brothers who don't play on any of the 70s Motown mm -hmm. stuff just isn't there to the point where it's also like by the 70s like Stax has like three different house bands which are three different kinds of bands like you have the people who are left around Booker T you have sure, like mm -hmm. the A-list crew that's like with like Isaac Hayes and doing Hot Buttered Soul and all that and then you just have like the, the kids who came up who are like the Bar K's and related people right. so it's not like anybody is playing like solid locked in stuff like in the 60s like the 60s soul hits exist because these bands are all like super mm. locked in like the muscle shoals crew is locked in mm -hmm. yeah, high yeah, records yeah. crew locked in like these guys are all killing it and this is the first record when you get a band trying to do a soul thing that's like really smashing it which is why she's gone works well, and let's but talk it didn't about, work for like three, three more. It was funny. It didn't work for Todd three Rundgren, more years. Let's talk about Todd Rundgren for a second too, because he was—he didn't produce this album, but he certainly was around then mm -hmm. and stuff. And and regardless of what you think about "Hello, It's Me" or whatever, or his later work, don't he talks, did some don't weird. Don't you talk like, shit about "Hello, It's Me." No, I'm not. That's one of my favorite songs of all time. Amazing. If uh, Todd Rundgren is cut from the same cloth mm -hmm. that they are, if you listen to Todd Rundgren albums. It will like melt your brain of how exactly what you're saying, how precise it is, yeah. and the trick and precision. I think in music that when it works, when it works like with Motown, yeah, it's precise, but it also has that emotion, right? It works uh, in some modern electronic music. Sometimes yeah. mm -hmm. it works, mm -hmm. not often, but sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, and one in ten at this point. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, but in. This you had not a whole movement. You just had these two dudes mm -hmm. that were. I mean, live at Daryl's house. Come on, yeah. <laughs> you you listen to this and you listen to the eighties hits and you listen and you see though the the joy of playing. There's a lot of like put on and there's also he's look he's sort of a smug son of a bitch. Yeah. At least that's his appearance on that thing. But he also wrote some of the best songs in history. And that takes that personality trait. Right. Because yeah, like, right now he's like, I'm rich as shit. I own this mountain. I have a house. What do I do? <laughs> and, and that's, but that's what you do. Call up your friends to play I Can't Go For That. Sure. And, and so as much as he put that into the world for, to make money, he also put it in the world because he understands like what I think, I think what inspires him and John mm -hmm. still inspire them. Mm -hmm. That idea of just like, the the absolute power of music 
and what they've done with it. There's not going to be somebody coming up behind them that's doing this. There's there's nothing. Yeah. Like well, once once they're gone, like I I don't know. You have people that are potentially could like Bruno Mars. I was going to say. I was going to say Bruno. Bruno but <laughs> but but you have people locked into the system, and instead of following the path of of they lost, they won, they lost mm-hmm. until they had to really win. And but then from the nineties on, what have Hollow Notes been? Just workhorses, yeah. but they but they there's no like shit. They're that two thousand four Hollow Notes album. Like it just didn't happen. Right. And you know, without that, Bruno Mars doesn't have the catalog to like toast on that or to inspire on that. And I think I think that's the important part about this album and especially contextualizing it with their newer stuff and the 80s stuff. Everybody starts somewhere. And where they started was from a place of basically making, doing their best work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's And they brought it to a place where they're like, we have to make a living at it. And then in addressing that and deciding that they were going to engage that made some of the best work, period. The coolest thing for me about Hollow Notes is that they aspired to be as good as some of the most legendary musicians to ever play music in the history but of they music. Are. And, and they are. In no, the but, end, they end up, they were. Doing it. Right, but that's mm-hmm. the thing. And they were back here, but you don't always catch, it's not lightning in a bottle. It's yeah. not, you know, everybody has a buildup. But when you, but when you, the thing is, is that you have to play always like you believe that you're that good. Yeah. And you have to okay, so it's 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 it's, a, it's like a three part thing. You have to first have the the inclination to play that well and do the thing that well. If they have that inclination, like I want to be the best, mm-hmm. then you have to like play music with the mindset of I want to play music that is adjacent to these great songs. Yep, and inspired by these great songs, but not these great songs. And that's the problem with modern music. That too often in modern music, you find young artists, especially dealing with all the young artists I deal with, who are like, I want to make the exact same song as this great song that existed. And I don't it's want like, to make a song like that. I want to make that song. And it's like, <laughs> that's not possible. And that song was already made. And that's and this is the thing, though. That, that's, and I've been thinking about this as we get ready to re- like record like some covers and, and do stuff yeah. and put those out. That Look, that's a natural inclination as far as learning to play music and learning, right. learning to be a performer learning to play music for other people because oh, yeah. that's a very different thing like playing music for yourself and then being like okay now i have to play in front of people mm-hmm. uh and it, you know so when people it's just a natural progression but i think what happens now is people don't bother to understand the history involved in that no not at all as to why that's a hit they they just know it's a hit they know it's a thing you know, it's like I was talking about the real world. Yeah. Like ruining everything. Uh, you know, people don't understand success anymore and that it's built. It's not handed out. No, it's not at all. And that you can't do something just because something else is popular doesn't mean your thing that you do is going to be popular. No. You could somebody could come out right now and do a straight album of Hollowness covers. Just rip it right mm-hmm. off and be competent. Guarantee, there's no fucking way. Okay, Bru- Bruno, Bruno Mars, <laughs> Bruno Mars does that in real life, but I'll he tell you, he doesn't though. Well, no, but I'll, no, but I'll tell you what the thing about Bruno that and he mixes and, and in I'm some Michael you, and he mixes in some Prince and he, right. and he and I was he's, gonna say he's he, 
Bruno Mars is an interesting study, and I'd like to see. I don't know if he has played with them. I'd like to see them them work together because I think he could learn a lot. Okay. He, clearly, that performance when he he covered the uh, the time, yeah, mm-hmm. was fucking insane, was phenomenal. And, yeah. and it was because he sat with Morris Day. Who look, people in 2018, you got to start giving Morris Day more credit. Mm-hmm. He's the man. You know, he is the man. <laughs> like there was Prince, but Prince, a lot of Prince was not Prince, Prince was without surrounded Morris Day. by For sure. geniuses, absolutely, yeah. and. You know, and, and, and he and he did it and it was chill inducing like to see him do that, but is because he clearly sat and studied and talked with the guy and wants to understand. It's okay not to understand it right away. Mm-hmm. Right. But he can get there. But who's pushing it beyond that? Like I love Bruno Mars. I think he is a great mimic. Yeah. I think he sort of strips stuff apart. Well, that's the point. Then, it's the yeah. fact that he grew up as an Elvis Presley impersonator. There you like, go. That's the key to the whole, that's the, that's, that's the secret key to the whole Bruno Mars thing. And we will probably say this on every podcast until the end of time. Uh, and we already did say it uh, for uh, our friend Ab is, yeah. do, is doing mm-hmm. this kind of work yeah. and taking stuff and, and understanding the form and moving it forward, forward. while still having it be yeah. exactly it what works. it should be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, who's doing that? Who's doing that? You yeah, know, and if you're listening to this and you are, reach out. Right, really, yeah. because I, I we want to hear it. The world actually, I think, needs it because yeah. you okay. you can fail. It's fine. Yeah. So, so yeah. if you're doing, if you're on the right path, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, for purposes of 2018, um, Justin Timberlake is releasing a Southern-inspired musical album. I've already called it a masterpiece on Medium, and everybody thinks that I'm an asshole. But whatever. I don't care, because okay. um, I'm right. But um, <laughs> but the reason why I'm right, you have it and didn't share. I I don't have it. I okay. just know. I just I'm going off the inference here. <laughs> I just know. There's just things I just know. That is bold, sir. I'm, I'm I am Sarah. You've known me for ten years now. I, I am. How bold I am, I am. I am. You know, I was hoping to escape uh, in the 2018. Uh, without having to say this, but we are not a facts-based podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so. So I'll say this. I'll say this only because okay. So there's a thing when your influences are right, and that makes your spirit right. Mm. That's what makes Hall of Notes great. Yeah, when your influences are right, when you have the right influences, when you literally are like John Oates is like. I grew up, and on the corner, there were guys doing doo-wop who were probably better than everybody else on the radio. Mm-hmm. And you walk down the street, and you're like, oh, wow, okay, so what I listen to the radio pales by comparison to these four men who are going to, you know, like, go to pick up my garbage at 7 o'clock in the morning. Think about this. Not just you, yeah. but, but our listeners. Before recorded music, people were just doing doo-wop on the corner. <laughs> right. Think about that. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> I want you to, like, just take that. You can play it. You can play my voice in your head over and over. Mm. Yeah. But think about that. Yeah. So, it's wild. Like, yeah, that's crazy. So, like... Is it? No, but it's... That's, or, that's, or is it just... <laughs> it's just what it is. Huh. Oh. Yeah, so... So, they, they have that. And then, this is a guy, especially in knowing I saw spoken to John Oates, who toured the world. He literally mm-hmm. went around the world yeah. and like listened to music. And then like he got to sit in the studio with like brilliant musicians who played on probably everybody's favorite pop songs of all time. Some of the greatest selling music that ever existed in the history of musicking. And these are all musicians because they made the greatest songs in the history of musicking who were also influenced by other great songs that existed in music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and then you have these two guys who their whole point of making this record is not to make a hit. Understand, this is the music industry in 1972, so money's just falling from the sky. Mm-hmm. 
like 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 you know like like leds like like on on any on on one label you have like Led Zeppelin and Chicago and these guys who all are selling like five million copies of everything. Yeah. So you could just hang out. It's like okay, you two guys, um, we just want you guys to find yourselves. Yeah, you they have. Do yeah, you know. So I mean, that's what I mean. It's like you have. You're just making a record to find yourself. And you have brilliant people that you're surrounded with at all times. And Irv Mardin, who's one of the greatest arrangers of music in the history of music. And you're not even expected to make a hit. And everybody's giving you 110% of their effort. So, like, in the midst of all of that, you get all these songs. And we talked about it. There's, like, 15 years of music that are influenced by snippets. Yeah. Of this album. Yeah. Snippets. Like, and, it ne- and it never happens anymore. So what does that say? Like, we're in trouble. No one would be given that setup no, today. Uh, like, ever. it does not exist. So no one would be given the freedom to tinker around and accidentally sort of yeah. come up with the formula for... And you're playing pop. with and you're playing with legends. So, like, we talk about the West Coast Get Down all the time on the podcast. So, like, imagine if, like, you're just Joe Blow singer-songwriter guy. And you have your, your best friend, Joe Blow singer-songwriter guy. And in walks the West Coast get down. And with them is like an amazing producer arranger. Mm-hmm. And they just sit down and they look at you and go, where are the songs? And they're going to arrange them for you mm-hmm. and make hits. Well, and I'm, uh, I'm going to be talk hit. about later on this uh, this month, actually, uh, the Chris Dave and the Drumheads, album, yeah. uh, which is uh, may answer that question, may not. I, I, I will say a spoiler. I don't think it does because I think. It, but you but have yeah, to, you're, you have, on, you're on the right track. Yeah, you have to have big, giant gorilla balls in order to like walk into the studio and like be able to like deliver when these people look at you. Mm. Like you, you have to, you you have to, and now you can hashtag that. By the way, big giant gorilla big, balls. Giant gorilla balls. You have to have big giant gorilla balls to be does able to go along with hashtag butt trash. Yes, it does. Okay. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> you have to be able to do that because I, I I honestly don't believe like, and this is say big giant gorilla ovaries too. There's nobody that has those in music right now. Mm. Nobody has that thing when you walk into the room and the best people in music are staring at you to be able to say, I'm better than you. But who's getting in a room with the best people in music? Even? Everybody yeah. in Nashville is. And, yeah, that's, the, and that's the crazy yeah. part is even in Nashville, like nobody's made the record yet. Wow. Chris, Sta- Chris Stapleton tried twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, 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 they're, and they're restricted by form. And, and, right, and so that, right. that's it's actually, wild. you know, and that's true for this record to happen again or, or an analog of this record to happen again. It probably will be country. And but it, it, it it's going to require somebody at a, at a label doing what they did. Just being like, oh, you guys sort of fucked up the first time. <laughs> uh, we're probably going to drop you. So just do whatever. Same thing happened to the Fugees when we talked about the, yes, the score. Did. Yes, it did. They went there and they said, uh, "Hey, Salam, uh, these guys, we might drop them." So, like, which look, look man, give we, them a hit. we have been throwing Jeez. shade on whole oats. It's a great album. It's fine. <laughs> right. It's not. Oh, but it went no. wood. It didn't, go, it didn't go gold. It went wood. It went so that's wood, the same but... thing. It's like you just have to like. I mean, okay. So like the I guess the big takeaway for me from this record after listening to it for like probably the last like seven days like a hundred million times mm-hmm. is that um. If you're in the music industry, like listening to this podcast, like, and you find talented singer songwriters, don't okay. So like, and this is like real, real talk. So like, Bad Barbie exists in the world. Mm-hmm. Like Danielle Bergoli, the Cash Me Outside girl, is a real rapper now. And 
she she has ghostwriters. I'll call her out. I don't care because it's the truth. And if you listen to her rap, she can't write. There's a person writing her her words for her. And I'm sure that that's a wonderful singer, songwriter, rapper person who has a deal and is able to like, you know, and should be releasing those songs. But because, you know, you, that person doesn't have 35 million Twitter followers or 100 million Instagram followers, mm. they're just sitting there writing songs for the girl who said, Cash Me Outside. Mm. So uh, instead of doing that music industry, actually sit these people down who you know are dope yeah. with, like, real talented people. Give because, them a chance. Because those are the people with the big giant gorilla balls that I'm talking about who are going to walk in and be like, yeah, I wrote, like, 12 hits last year. Yeah, so, like, boom slick, let's go. Like, let's make it happen. Bang. Yeah, give them a chance. When you have somebody, whether it's a single person, a duo, or a group, they want to come through, they'll be like, hey, um, we're still trying to figure this out. Can you? I mean, that's the old A&R model. You support yeah. Yeah, that's you supported exactly artists. It. That's exactly <laughs> right. it. You didn't expect them to come with their hits all together because, like, look, artists, if you got the hits, you don't need a fucking label. <laughs> right. Like, not anymore. No, yeah. But back then, Atlantic was one of the, they were one of the good guys. Yeah, yeah exactly. They were fucking, <laughs> they, 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 they were Charles, white knight. Right. Yeah, for sure. You know, they, they, they were, uh, they were crushing it and, and they had faith in this even when it didn't sell. Mm-hmm. I mean, they dropped them after the last album. Sure. I mean, the, the realities of capitalism are, are what they are, but they still, what you got out of it was three albums, this one being the middle album. And, it, and it, like is one of the best weirdest albums like in my entire collection for sure. I mean, they mm-hmm. discovered themselves yeah. on this record. They did, and you get to hear it. You it's get to hear cool it all to hear it, in yeah. all its pervy goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Just this weird, strange. Like, oh, I I like this style. I'm gonna rip it off. We're gonna try it, and it's not like stuff that they would try. It's just this is literally a, a record of a band, a record and a record of of a band discovering who they want to be as artists. Right, and, they kill and, and hilariously not realizing that they found it. <laughs> right uh, until three years later, he knew. three years later, when hey. everybody else caught on and they said, "Got it, that's it, no, that's it." Ten percent, ten percent here. Ten percent of this record actually matters. The other ninety percent you can throw in the garbage. When no. it comes to like pop, when it comes to pop, when it comes to like the pop nature of music, okay. I well, she's gone is the song that like defined their entire career. That's but you don't you don't have she's gone without everything around it. But no, I know, but it's astounding because this is how the modern, modern music industry thinks. Ten mm-hmm. percent of this record worked. Yeah, the other ninety percent for the purposes of this bond line driven mainstream music industry mm-hmm. is butt trash and garbage, and doesn't need to exist, which well, is crazy, right? It's crazy. Um, that's the problem, but, but that's it, what it is. But it doesn't really matter because it worked for all of us down there. Exactly. And, and that's, there it is. And that's really what counts. And it worked for uh, Daryl and John. There you go. So really, that's that's the whole thing. Uh, thank you guys for hanging out. Sarah, I don't know when you're going to be back, but I know you're going to be back for Whitney Houston one. Absolutely. That's going to be amazing. I, I think it's going to be I think it's gonna be you, Timothy, uh, your friend. Awesome. Uh, and it's it's going to be a blast. I'm just going to sit back here and laugh. <laughs> so you're going to ta- you're gonna have to talk more. <laughs> I, I, I'm I not... know a lot more about okay. Whitney than I do about Hall. Okay, notes. great. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you guys for hanging out. Of and, course. Uh, and uh, yeah, man, go out and check this out if you haven't heard the album. Just do it, man. It's okay. People don't mock you for liking Hall and They never should have, but it's okay, man. You're go whack if you mock people for liking Hall and You're whack. Indeed. All right. Well, She's gone, she's gone away
All notes of Bam and Luncheonette, right there for you. Uh, if you didn't know anything about it uh, before, you may not know anything about it now, but at least you've heard, you've been exposed. You know what it's about. You can make your own decisions. So hopefully you'll seek it out. Hopefully you'll dig into it. Look, I, you know, uh, Whole Oats can do well, and, and War Babies is a weird album, but I, I, it, I've always said the human voice is, is where it's at. That's how we draw a connection, and nobody can sing and harmonize like Daryl Hall and John Oates. Nobody. And uh, and I don't know if we said it in this podcast, but you know when they're gone, uh, this that's I I don't know what's coming up. I don't know what's going to be replacing that. Maybe something shouldn't. Maybe we just got lucky to live in the era of Daryl Hall and John Oates. Uh, that is our podcast for this Thursday and uh, our podcast for this week. Uh, we thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on Apple Music. That's in iTunes. You can listen to us on there. Uh, you can give us a rating. Leave us a message. You can also listen to, uh, listen to us on Stitcher, McCloud, Google Play, and as always on the site, www.chunkyglasses.com. When you're there, I'm going to urge you to check out the work that uh, Matt and Mauricio, Matt uh, Condon and Mauricio Castro are doing. They, they handle our live coverage, and they're out about every night. Took a little break over December, like we all do, but they're going to be picking that back up. Uh, and is really the best work uh Definitely in the city of Washington, D.C., but some of the best work, I think, in the East Coast and in the industry. Uh, Their images and their words they put in sort of contextualizing the live experience is outstanding, and I am very proud to have them uh, on our team. Uh, Also proud to to work with people and have worked with people like Jamal Gray. He's at Uptown Art House. In fact, this interstitial music, the music you hear on right now, is from an EP put out last year called Aquatic Gardener. Uh, I'm going to put a link in the show notes. So there's a thing in here in Washington, D.C. called WeDC. And they send ambassadors to South by Southwest every year and and to sort of represent the city and show that like what's going on. Some of it's tech and a lot of it is creative. And, and Jamal is up for this sort of position, this ambassadorship this year. And I, I want everybody to advocate for him. I, I have to look and see if it's a vote or if you just put his name. But I'll, I'll figure it out. It'll be in the show notes. And uh, and send, send, send our guy there, because Jamal's amazing. Work he's doing at Uptown Art House is amazing. Uh, and it makes our city as rich as it does, as it is. So, um, coming up on Monday, uh, you might all have off. We have a special treat. We're going to be doing a uh, an episode about Martin Luther King and the music that inspired him. And uh, so we're going to have some serious discussions, I think, probably, uh, <laughs> about the civil rights movement. Joining us for that. There's going to be uh, Marcus again, Eduardo, and uh, Timothy Ann Burnside from the uh, National Museum of African American History and Culture. So get ready for that. If this wasn't your thing, I think that might be. And then we're finally going to get to the albums. First Aid Kit has a new album called Runes coming out, and then after that, Tune Yards is back. Uh, and then and then we'll be fully we'll be fully integrated into 2018. We've got a lot of fun stuff coming up after that. Uh, we thank you guys for tuning in. As usual, we'll see you in a few short days. Until then, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. Talk to you soon.
<laughs> 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 Kenobi.